Welcome to Brain-Based Parenting, the Boys Ranch podcast for families. We all know how hard being a parent is, and sometimes it feels like there are no good answers to the difficult questions families have when their kids are struggling. Our goal each week will be to try and answer some of those tough questions, utilizing the knowledge, experience, and professional training Cal Farley's Boys Ranch has to offer. Now here is your host, Cal Farley Staff Development Coordinator, Joshua Sprock. Hi, this is Joshua Sprock. When we initially started recording this podcast, it was meant just to be one episode. However, we quickly realized our discussion had more depth to it, so one part just wasn't going to do it justice. So we split this conversation into two parts, ensuring that we do it justice and honor your time. Stay tuned as we introduce brain development and the brainstem, and then come back next week when we finish the discussion. Also in today's episode, we discuss supplements that are occasionally provided at Boys Ranch. If you're interested in exploring these further, it's essential to have a conversation with your pediatrician or counselor for personalized guidance and insights that suit your family's individual needs. All right, now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us today as we continue talking about brain-based parenting. Today, we're going to begin a new series on brain development. To do that, I'm joined today by Catherine Clay, our clinical supervisor. Hello. Chloe Hewitt, assistant administrator over residential communities. Hi. And Erica Hawkins burrell our clinical intervention specialist. Hello. All right, we're going to start off with our question of the day. And since we're talking about brain development, I thought I would ask you if you were brains when you were in high school, or if not, what clique did you belong to? I'll say um, the cool thing about the high school that I went to, I went to high school in Costa Rica, and the first thing I noticed was that it wasn't super clicky, so you could be a brain, but you could also like hang out with whoever and be invited to all the parties, and it was nice. I think I was so I I was so shy in high school that I don't I mean I had a very small group of friends but I don't think it was like like the big categories of brains or athletes or you know so I was shy I was in the shy group mm. I don't know if that's a click quiet uh, I was in all honors, but I don't know if that would deem me as brains. It's just I had started honors in eighth grade and stuck with it the whole time. Um, but I was also nominated most friendly, so I would like to say that I was probably involved in most groups. And so I don't know what clique I would have belonged in. Sounds like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Since our podcast is titled Brain-Based Parenting, I thought it's time we should talk about some brain development. So I'd like to start by having y'all tell our listeners maybe a general overview of how the brain does develop. So the brain develops in like a general sense from the bottom up and from the inside out. When we're looking at brain development, we're really looking at critical periods um, in brain development based on how it develops. Um, So the first thing to develop uh, kind of builds on the next. So they all build on each other. The brain develops sequentially. So starting with lower brain through midbrain to the cortex, the brain is malleable, but the brain is less plastic, less malleable in the lower parts of the brain. Those get a little bit more fixed. And then uh, there's more plasticity at the top parts of the brain. So that is important when talking about our experiences that have happened early on in life when those lower parts of the brain are developing. And the brain develops in a use-dependent way, so meaning the more that part of the brain is used, the more the system grows and changes to reflect that activation. 
So if there are pieces of the brain that aren't being activated, whether it's intrauterine or after, those brain networks or pieces won't work the same way because mm-hmm. they're not activated. Yeah. And I put, you know, I really like 85% of the brain is developed by age three. And so, which is why zero to three is so critical and why, and it starts in utero. And so really some of us don't even realize that it starts so early on. Yeah. And so that's really the critical mm-hmm. part right mm-hmm. there. So Erica, you talked a little bit about the critical and sensitive periods in the brain development. Can you guys talk a little bit more about that? Why that's so important? Yeah, absolutely. So like Chloe and Catherine were saying, you know, the majority of brain development takes place within the first three to five years of life. And so those would be a critical period of brain development, including in in utero. The brain is malleable and you can still support brain development over time. But those have the biggest impact on overall development when we're looking at critical periods. Yeah. And I think another thing that makes that period so critical, that zero to three, three to five, is because of how rapid the brain is growing at that point. Mm -hmm. And so the rate of change in the brain is greater when you're young versus when you're older. And so as the more active a system is in the brain, the more sensitive it is to experience. So that's why the zero to three, three to five brainstem time and diencephalon time is so sensitive to disruption or any type of insult to that period, whether the mother was stressed or there was poverty, um, any medical procedures or violence or anything during that that crucial, like we said, zero to three, three to five time, it just, it sticks a lot longer because of that critical period of development. I mean, I think that's why we always say, right, they're just a sponge. So like they are picking up, especially, um, you know, the ages that our kids are, mine's two and five, Catherine has the same age kids. And so we talk about it all the time. They just pick up everything I do, every (laughs) word I do. um, Good or bad. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The way I react to a situation because they're watching your every move. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that's interesting to me is uh, Dr. Bruce Perry talks about about development being um, the sequential creation of memory. And what we're developing in those that first little bit is the brain learning about its environment, the people who will respond to me, who won't respond to me, all that stress-mediated stuff. And the brain is kind of learning what needs to activate and what doesn't need to activate. And like kind of Chloe was saying, if there's a bad experience or a good experience, it's going to grow and develop and have a great template. And if it if the experience is void or it's a bad experience or a stressful experience or whatever, that will reflect in those those systems of the brain. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is our brains are very use dependent, like kind of like a muscle. The more you use certain areas, Mm -hmm. the stronger it's going to be. Yes. Now, the sequential development, it's important when it comes to how we parent our children. Can you guys talk a little bit about sequential development and the impact that has on how we parent our kids? I go back to kind of what Chloe was saying, because I have kids that are young, um, two and five, and being aware of sequential development is helpful in that regard because there are times when I misstep with my kids because I am trying to rationalize with my two-year-old mm-hmm. and I just don't get why he doesn't get it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it's just not landing. Like that piece of his brain is not at full capacity and I should be probably being more parallel with him or playful or regulating with him. And then maybe we could get to a little bit more cognition. However, Still, it's not like I'm 
I was, I speak to him like I was talking to Chloe or something, you know, so it's just the missteps I think happen when we don't take into consideration the developmental stuff that comes with um, the sequencing that we're talking about. And I even think like when you go, so I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, but the crying stage, right? So like as a newborn, that's our only way to communicate. Mm -hmm. So really that's their form of communication. It's our job to meet that need. But I go back to how I was parented and, um, you know, it was very much cried out. And mm -hmm. so as I was beginning my parenting journey, my mom struggled with why, why are you not just letting them cry it out? Why are you responding to that need mm -hmm. every time? And so it was kind of educating my mom on this a lot yeah. <laughs> as, mm -hmm. as we were growing and, um, and sitting in the floor with them because truly my parents didn't do that. And so they've been having to watch me parent so differently from them. Yeah. And so that's been a learning curve for all of us too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll say um, I have a 10-year-old stepdaughter who came into my life at eight years old, and it's been very interesting just having, you know, a more non-traditional family structure and trying to get to know someone at a, a space in their development where you didn't get to see the steps leading up to that. Mm -hmm. And so that's really interesting to, you know, just connect and get to know her at that level and then also think of where she's at developmentally, how to meet that need without the scaffolding that can kind of naturally come when you raise a child mm -hmm. from birth to that age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the brain is obviously very, very complicated, right? But for the purpose of our discussion today we're, and next week, we're going to break down the brain into four basic areas, the brainstem, the diencephalon, the limbic system, and the cortex. Uh, we'll talk about the first two today, and then we'll dive into the next two next week. So let's start with the brainstem. When is it formed and why is that important? So the brainstem is formed in utero and in early infancy. So by the time a child is born, it's almost to adult functioning, ideally, um, because it's re responsible for the basic functions that keep us alive. Yeah. So thinking about when it's formed in that intrauterine environment, I think a lot of the times we think of development as soon as the child enters like mm -hmm. the physical earth. And so I think it can be forgotten when we think about all of the things that the child is experiencing in utero mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. um, greatly impact that, that brain development. When you're born, um, some of those functions that need to be online for you to survive, that's that intrauterine period in that early infancy, like Erica was saying. So your, your blood your blood pressure, your heart rate, temperature, things like that. Um, ideally, you would want those to be working at full capacity when you are born. Otherwise, you'd have a lot of complications. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need the higher functions at birth because you have a caregiver that meets your needs mm -hmm. and, you know, navigates the environment and the social situations for you. And really what you need to do is breathe <laughs> and yeah. be able to your heart to be that kind of thing. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You talked about breathing and heart rate. Are there any other functions that the brainstem mediates and regulates? Uh, blood pressure, yeah. body temperature, heart rate. So... If it regulates all those, what might be some warning signs if your child's brainstem isn't fully organized? Um, so that would be anything that we see with those things that were listed. So like difficulty with body temperature regulation. Mm -hmm. Maybe that child does not want to, doesn't feel like they need to wear um, a coat when it's super, super cold outside. They might not be able to in interpret that physical cue that it's cold outside um, or integrate that physical cue. 
See, that's really interesting. Like it's it's summertime in Texas right here <laughs> and it is really, really hot. And I often see like a lot of kids wearing like hoodies and stuff. Is that kind of what you're talking about? I think that could be a big part of it. Yes. I think sometimes some kids just want to wear a hoodie because yeah. maybe they just got it and that it, it's a cool, it's a cool, or it could be a body image thing. But I also think that it's more affected. It could be a brainstem signal when they're not internalizing the cue that they, it is hot outside yeah. or they're not noticing that they're really hot with that hoodie on. I think we also see a lot of kids who have um, some central nervous system dysregulation and that is often reflected in their heart rates. And so if their heart is their heart rate ends up being above 100 or so or below, you know, 60, 50, something like that. I think we look at that like as kind of a kind of opportunity for us to ask some questions because um, sitting still at rest, your heart rate shouldn't be pumping as if you're running a marathon. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of have to ask yourself, why is that heart racing at rest? And when did that start? When did the heart learn to do that? And then the same with the lower heart rate, like why is this heart rate so low that it's like a, a fro- it, the person's frozen or there's low, um, low arousal or whatever it may be. So we see that a lot come out in our kids here at Boys Ranch yeah. and, and we notice it mm-hmm. through behaviors. It's not like you could, sometimes you can, but a lot of times you can't walk up to a kid and say, yeah, I think you probably have high heart rate. <laughs> Sometimes you can. But once we start taking those heart rates and we notice what their system is doing inside, then we're like super interested to figure out why and how to help them regulate that to a normal range so that their functioning will increase or improve. So that's one way that we see it a lot here. Yeah. And I would say that's one of the, it, bringing the kids awareness to it is pretty neat. You mm-hmm. know, when you get to work with, so I primarily work with adolescents and my favorite part is when I do a regulation with them taking it before and after, I'll give them my watch so they can see their heart rate and mm-hmm. see the change. But I also know that everybody, like I regulate very differently. Yeah. Not everybody likes to work out or run or yeah. walk. And run. so I will try different activities. So I learned through him, hey, Legos and Hot Wheels only amped him up. So yeah. I could not. So we tried a variety of activities to see. Right. And he got to actually watch his heart rate if it would increase or decrease mm-hmm. or where it maintained mm-hmm. that time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's paying attention, being curious, and trial and error yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yes. I think you guys touched on this a little bit, but can the brainstem be changed if it didn't organize in an ideal way? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I would say... Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) The hard part is, is like we we spoke about a minute ago, the brainstem is the least plastic. Um, What happens during that critical time is a little bit harder to change than what um, maybe a thought or a belief would be, you know, that's something in the cortex. In our clinical uh, work, Eric and I were talking about this earlier, but we've um, seen a lot of, worked with a lot of families who um, have adopted and adopted a kid usually internationally with many, many years of chaos and struggle. And then they get into the home with the caregiver, the new caregiver, the, um, the family, and there is there are things that are occurring benignly that are just part of a family's rhythm that we don't always think are like a, thera- a therapeutic intervention. But dinner time being at the same time, wake up, nap, and bedtime being at the same time, the smells in the home, all these sensory inputs mm-hmm. that are regular, consistent, repetitive, patterned, all that stuff over a, many, many years, that kind of stuff is going to rebuild these these blocks in the brainstem. So what are some interventions that you guys would suggest for a kid who's struggling with brainstem issues? 
So as Catherine was saying, um, you know, it takes it takes a lot of repetition. It takes a lot of consistency to reorganize that brainstem stem, and it can be done. And it typically is done over many years. But there are so many tools that can help support in in that time. So you know, some recommendations that we give to families when we do see some brainstem disorganization is, for example, like if there's difficulty with um, body temperature regulation, we see that especially at night, which can impact sleep too. And so um, we might recommend to put a fan in that room or, you know, we, we, the brainstem um, is, holds the core regulatory networks and sends those messages essentially to the rest of the brain. And so a lot of the times we can look at supplements to help support that as well. Do you have a recommendation on different types of supplements? Some supplements that we have recommended um, for kids to look into or families to look into um, have been GABA to kind of help support with um, anxiety, uh, magnesium, L-theanine. A lot of that just comes, a lot of that has been to help regulate the nervous system as a whole and just kind of bring down that stress level and find some regulation so that the communication can happen to the other parts of the brain. I would also say it's so important because it's like building that solid foundation, right? Because it's at the bottom of the brain and we want to build that solid foundation so we can build upon it. So, And and I think for sleep too, looking at the consistency and routine that Catherine was talking about is so important Mm -hmm. Um, just because they need to know what to expect. And so sometimes when my – it was interesting. I was talking to one of my friends this week about hay and he he said, hey, we're changing the whole routine. They're getting back in school. We're not going to do – no TV. We're not going to do anything on weeknights. And so he was telling me what they are developing and said, hey, we need to stop. I feel like it's affecting the kid's behavior. So kind of also looking at what your current routine is mm-hmm. and, and then say, hey, this is what we should try and implement mm-hmm. and see if we see a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, I'm sure we could do a whole episode on sleep. Yes. But right. what, <laughs> what occurs during sleep is so pivotal that for us not to have interventions to support it is is would be detrimental. And so anything that we can do to support sleep is going to be helpful with every other piece of the brain. And it's so unique to each to each child. Mm-hmm. I think that's – I said this in one of our previous recordings was that I put my two- and five-year-old down differently depending yeah. on their needs because my two-year-old is a very touch-oriented child, and my five-year-old does not want touch. And so his – sleep looks like several books he gets to pick out he gets to choose he wants a half a glass of milk Mm -hmm. he has like his own routine um he wants to answer his bible questions and my two-year-old wants to snuggle for 20 minutes then do her book then her bible and so it's very different um just tailoring it to what each child needs Mm -hmm. so why is it important that we start with looking at the brain stem when we're looking at interventions in brain development you know, it would be the, the foundation, right? Like even thinking of a foundation of a home. If the foundation of a home is a little wobbly, then the other layers are going to be impacted. And so if we can repair and patch the foundation, then we're likely going to be able to reach the other pieces of the brain and help those develop well. Even stronger, yeah. Even stronger, yeah. And have mm-hmm. access to different skills. Mm -hmm. Because all of our sensory input first filters through the brainstem. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And if it's not organized, then that sensory input message gets distorted or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like what you're saying, so say sensory input comes in and it's um, a door slamming, right? And um, it comes in through the brainstem. The brainstem decides where to send it. And if the brainstem is impaired in some way, like what we're talking about, then it's probably going to send it to the wrong place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So 
if the door slams and I'm well-regulated, my brain stems well-regulated, I can say, oh, that door slammed. And I don't have this physiological response or I don't try to flee or whatever it may be. But if that, if I have a disorganized brain stem with likely previous history that got would have that evocative cue impact me so much, the slamming door could be something way bigger. Mm-hmm. Right. And I could flee or I could run out of here or whatever it may be. So it does distort, that, in, that input's distorted. All right, thank you for spending some time developing your brains with us today. Until next time, remember, you might have to loan out your frontal lobes today. Just remember you to make sure and get them back. Thank you for listening to Brain-Based Parenting. We hope you enjoyed this show. If you would like more information about Cal Farley's Boys Ranch, are interested in employment, would like information about placing your child, or would like to help us help children by donating to our mission, please visit calfarley.org. You can find us on all social media platforms by searching for Cal Farley's. Thank you for spending your time with us, and have a blessed day.